In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, as part of my seminary training that I went through in order to become your pastor, uh, all of us students, we had to complete a year-long full-time internship. Uh, it's also called a vicarage in the, the fancy theological world. Um, it was a wonderful experience uh, for many of us. It was a, a growing experience, a learning experience, but also one where we got to serve hands-on in, in a local congregation. Uh, the, the, the internship or the vicarage, it took place during the third year out of four, which means that we had two years of classwork and learning and growth leading up to that vicarage. Uh, but the truth is, no amount of classroom learning could have ever prepared us for everything we needed to know uh, to be sent out to these churches to, to serve. And so the, the powers that be at the seminary, they decided that what we needed, in, in addition to those two years of classroom learning, was also a series of orientation uh, sessions. Uh, once a week, usually on Wednesday evenings, we would gather together in this auditorium, this big lecture hall, and we would go over a number of, I would say, more practical concerns regarding ministry. Uh, we had sessions on finances and budgeting because uh, some of these uh, students had never had a job before, had only been students their whole life and didn't know how to deal with money. And uh, as small as the paychecks were, weren't going to know what to do with that money. And so we did sessions on finances. We also had sessions on grooming and hygiene because, again, you had a group of uh, mid-20-something guys uh, who had only ever lived in dorms before and they needed to know that you couldn't wear sweatpants to worship on Sunday and you should probably take a shower uh, every morning and things like that. Uh, some of us needed those more than others. Um, there are also sessions on the importance of prayer life, uh, keeping diligent in prayer and studying God's word and how important that was going to be. Uh, these orientation sessions, the truth is they were good for us and we needed them. Uh, but most of us didn't think that we did. Uh, some of us, from the moment we stepped foot onto seminary, thought we already had it all figured out and that we were just kind of waiting until we would be sent out into these churches to set the world on fire. We thought a lot of these orientation sessions were actually kind of beneath us, that uh, we, we did not need them, but, but we did. Uh, because the truth is that all of us, uh, even the most prepared among us, had some things to learn, and, and all of us had some misconceptions along the way, misconceptions of what life in a church was going to be like. We, we didn't quite understand what was going to be expected of us or what we could expect when we got in, into these churches, and we had a lot of wrong ideas floating around our minds or just a lot of things that we still needed to learn. And, and so as much as we thought we didn't need to be orientated towards internship, we did. Uh, and these sessions were good for us. Uh, well, in our gospel reading for today, Jesus gathers together his disciples for an orientation lesson of sorts. Uh, it didn't happen in an auditorium or in a lecture hall, uh, but Jesus gathers together his disciples, and I'm sure it was a lesson, uh, much like me and my fellow students, that they did not think that they needed. I'm sure that they thought they had this all figured out, that the last thing they, they needed was another lecture from Jesus about this. Uh, but Jesus, this is so important to him. And so he gathers them together to teach them two things, to orientate them to two realities. Uh, the first was who he was, because uh, then, like now, there were lots of misconceptions about who Jesus was. And the truth is, Jesus is often not who we think he is. And the other reality that Jesus needed to orientate them towards was what a life of discipleship was going to look like, uh, because following Jesus is not always how we think it is. And so Jesus gathers together his disciples in an area called Caesarea Philippi. 
Caesarea Philippi was a Greek-influenced area, a Hellenistic area, which meant that there were lots of these pagan temples all over the place in Caesarea Philippi. Uh, At that time, there would have been a a pagan temple to Caesar Augustus, the former Roman ruler who had died by that point but was considered to be a god uh, in the flesh. There was a, a temple to the Greek god Pan. Later, there would be one to Zeus. And with all of these kind of gods, so-called gods in the background, Jesus gathers together his disciples to teach them a lesson, and he starts by asking them a, a very pointed question. He says, who do people say that I am? And I think the, the kind of point was to say, who do people say that I am? Am I just another one of these guys? Am I, am I just considered to be like Zeus or Pan or Caesar Augustus or or do people think I'm above them or below them? Who do people say that I am? And, and so the disciples tell Jesus a little bit about what they've been hearing. Uh, but then Jesus gets to the heart of the matter. He says, okay, but now who do you say that I am? What do you think about me? And it's Peter, the apostle Peter, who speaks up for the rest of the group. And he tells Jesus, he says, Jesus, you are the Messiah. Uh, That word Messiah is a Hebrew word. It means the anointed one or someone who is set apart for a holy purpose. Uh, That's the Hebrew word. The Greek word for the same thing is Christ. Messiah and Christ uh, are the same word, just different languages. And the Messiah was someone that had been uh, promised to Israel, to God's people for centuries. God had promised that he was going to send this Messiah, this anointed one, this special person to, to come and redeem and restore all things. The Messiah was going to make things right for Israel after all these years. And, and, and God's people had been waiting and hoping and praying for this Messiah to come. And so it's really an amazing thing, if you think about it, for Peter to look at Jesus, this man before him, his friend and his leader, and, and to say, Jesus, you're it. You're the one we've been waiting for. You are this Messiah. You're the one who's going to make things right for us. It's an amazing confession of faith that Peter makes, and yet it's also clear that he doesn't quite get it. Uh, Peter needs to be orientated, along with the other disciples, along with us. Uh, There are some misconceptions out there that Jesus needs to clear up about who this Messiah is. Uh, in, In that day, there were kind of two camps Uh, One camp thought that the Messiah was going to be this military general who was going to come with with physical strength to wipe out Israel's enemies uh, and and to exact revenge uh, upon the nations around them. Some people thought the Messiah was going to be this military general. Other people thought that the Messiah was was going to be an earthly political ruler, uh, a king, a glorious king. wearing a a golden crown with diamonds who would lead God's people forward and and make things right for them, bring them back to the the power that they had once enjoyed there in the Middle East. Uh, There were a lot of misconceptions about who the Messiah was at that time. Just like today, I think there are a lot of misconceptions about who Jesus is, isn't there? Uh, Some of which uh, even we kind of fall into the traps of believing or thinking. Uh, For example, sometimes I think we expect Jesus to be our yes man, Right? We, we, we just want Jesus to tell us what we want to hear. We want Jesus to affirm what we already believe. Sometimes we expect Jesus just to pat us on the back and say, you're doing the right thing. Or, or maybe we treat Jesus sometimes like a spiritual ATM. We go to hear him in prayer, and he spits back out to us exactly what we want. And we expect Jesus to give us what we want, when we want it, material things, spiritual things, and we get frustrated when it's not happening as, happening as quickly or as much as we would like it to. Uh, even today, we have some misconceptions about Jesus, but, 
But Jesus needs to orientate us. He needs to remind us that, that he is not who we might expect him to be or want him to be. Jesus did not come to be some militaristic general uh, to exact revenge and wipe out his enemies. Jesus came to be a savior, uh, one who would lay down his life on the cross. Uh, Jesus didn't come to be some earthly king with power <laughs> and might. He, he didn't come to wear a, a golden crown with diamonds. He came to wear a crown of thorns uh, so that you, his people, would one day wear a crown of, of glory, enjoying his victory in everlasting life. Uh, Jesus is often not who we think he is, but he is far, far greater than we could ever imagine. <laughs> Jesus doesn't give us what we want all the time. He came to give us what we need. And Jesus needs to, to remind us of that from time to time, to reorientate us to who he actually is. And then he also needs to orientate us to, to what a life following him is actually going to look like, uh, that a life following Jesus as his disciple isn't always rainbows and, and sunshines. It's not always happiness and smiles. Uh, following Jesus is not always going to take us to places of power and money and, and popularity or positions of authority. And In fact, following Jesus is going to take us to a cross. It's going to take us to the place where mercy and grace just flow to us. Following Jesus will, will take us to a place of, of outstretched arms where God welcomes us in as his children in love. That might not be what we were looking for, but it's exactly what we need. Uh, following Jesus also uh, means this. This is what Jesus says in regards uh, to what a life of discipleship looks like. Jesus says, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me and the gospel will save it. You see, all of us, uh, not only this Lent, but all of our lives are following Jesus to that cross where he just pours out to us everything we need. But the truth is that as God's disciples, as, as his children, we reflect that to the world. We pick up our own mini crosses. We carry burdens as we, we try to love our neighbors and our families and our friends just like Jesus did. It won't always be easy. We are called to deny ourselves, our, our selfish desires and our self-centered pride, to lay that aside, to do what Jesus did out of love for his people. And, and we need to constantly be reorientated to that, to be reminded of what a life of discipleship actually looks like. It, it might not be what we expect it to, but I would argue that a life of discipleship, of following Jesus, is far greater than we could ever picture it. Uh, and a couple of years ago, uh, maybe exactly uh, three years ago now, I, I, I experienced this. Uh, I saw someone who, who got it. Uh, there was an interview on TV of this man, this Christian man, who had been reorientated, and he knew who Jesus was clearly, and he knew what a life of, of discipleship, of following Jesus was, and it was abundantly clear that he got it better than I did, uh, maybe better than many of us did. Uh, this na man's name was Bashir. Bashir was his name. He, he lived in Libya, I believe. You see, in, in February 2015, there were 21 Coptic or Egyptian Christians who were killed in Libya for their faith by ISIS. 21 of our sisters and brothers uh, executed simply for believing in Jesus. And on that day, Bashir lost two of his brothers uh, in that 
terrible tragedy. Two of his brothers were killed. And sometime after that, there was an interview done where Bashir was interviewed on a, a local TV station uh, in the Middle East. And somehow I, I came across it. Someone mentioned it to me, so I watched it. Um, and I was shocked by Bashir, to be honest. Uh, I was amazed at what he was saying in this interview. Uh, probably because Bashir was not answering the questions he was being asked like I would. Uh, I was expecting Bashir to be angry, right? After all, two of his brothers were killed. I, I would have expected him to be angry at God, at ISIS for doing what they did, and that would have been natural. I was expecting uh, Bashir to pray for revenge against those enemies after the terrible things that they had done, or, or maybe to curse them after, after watching his two brothers die. But Bashir didn't do that. Because I think Bashir got it, he had been orientated. Uh, he had a, a truly cross-focused faith. Um, see, in this interview, uh, Bashir did not pray for revenge against his enemies. He actually said that he prayed daily for those enemies, that their eyes would be opened, and that one day they too might believe in Jesus and be saved. Uh, Bashir didn't curse those who killed his brothers. He thanked them. He said that, that they had filmed the execution as part of their propaganda to send across the world, but, but in that video, you could hear those Christians moments before they were, their death confessing their faith in Jesus, telling the world that, that no matter what was going to happen to them in just a few minutes, that they continued to believe. They shared the good news of the Savior who loved them and, and the eternal life that he was about to wrap them up in. And, and for some reason, the terrorists had not edited that part of the video out. They kept in that confession, that, that witness, to Jesus Christ. And so Bashir said, thank you. Because now brothers and sisters, Christian brothers and sisters across the world are going to be strengthened by what they saw. So thank you for leaving that confession in. Uh, everything he said was so out of the ordinary. In fact, at one point, I think the interviewer was uh, getting uh, a little bit surprised and confused too because uh, it wasn't what he was expecting. So he tried to go around Bashir and he said, okay, yeah, you've come to terms with this. You have a, a an interesting attitude about what happened. But what about your mom? You know, your mother lost two of her boys that day. What does she think? She's got to be angry, right? Furious. And uh, Bashir paused and he said, no, I, I know my mother pretty well. And my mother, a, a 65-year-old woman, never been educated, living in the Middle East. If she were to meet my son's killers today, she would welcome them into her home. She would pray for them that God would open up their eyes, that they might believe in Jesus. And she would let them know kindly that they were the reason that her two sons now rested with their Savior. It was an amazing testimony. Uh, somewhere near the end, there was a quote that Bashir gave that kind of stuck out to me too and, and that again just showed how much he got it, that he had been orientated towards the way of Jesus. And this is what Bashir said. He said, since the Roman era, Christians have been martyred and have learned to handle everything that comes our way. This only makes us stronger in our faith because the Bible told us to love our enemies and bless those who curse us. Uh, to, me, to me, Bashir had a cross-focused faith. He got it. It wasn't that he wasn't sad. It probably wasn't that he wasn't angry. I'm sure he was angry and sad along the way. It wasn't that he was saying that these things that happened to his brother, that their death was okay or that it was all right or not that big of a deal. No, 
Instead, he reflected a cross-focused faith, a, a faith that saw Jesus for who he truly was, that Jesus to him wasn't some militaristic general who was going to sweep in with revenge, and that he wasn't some earthly king who would come back to rule with power to make things right. No, no Jesus to him was his savior, the, the one who, who brought him and his brothers everlasting life, the savior who didn't always give us what we want, but he does give us what we need. Bashir saw the Christian life, a life of discipleship for what it really was, not a life of happiness and sunshine and roses, but a life focused on that cross, receiving everything from that cross, and then reflecting the cross, a life of denying ourselves, taking up our crosses, and following the way of Jesus. I often pray for for that kind of faith, a cross-focused faith, to see Jesus for who he truly is and to walk this life for what it truly is, to see Jesus as one who is far, far greater than we ever imagined and to see this life of discipleship as one that is far better than we could have ever imagined too. In Jesus' name, amen.